This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Just to get your notes in order, what we've covered already is step one, the exchange of coats or robes, the robe representing the individual. And that's where each covenant head, each person entering into covenant, declares, this represents me and all that I possess, assets and liabilities, good and bad, and I'm, a, I'm giving it to you. That's why when you covenant, make sure you covenant with the right people. People who don't have a whole lot of negatives. <laughs> All right? You want a whole lot of benefit. Amen? Step number two is an exchange of belts. And the belt doesn't, uh, wasn't there to keep their pants up. The belt was there to keep the armor together. And the armor uh, was representative of the, of the might, the ability the enabling that that person brought into the covenant relationship. And so when a person exchanged belts, they were exchanging all their ability, all their enablement, every resource at their disposal, that if an enemy came in against their covenant partner, they would be able to throw a fair amount of weight behind the effort to, to overcome any attack. Any attack against their covenant partner was a direct attack against them. And in covenant making, the covenant heads declare, this is the ability that I bring into this relationship. Number three, they actually go ahead and they do the cutting of the covenant. And it's appropriate that this morning, as we're going to be taking communion later on, that's the step that we're going to be considering. Step number four was a mingling of the blood by the covenant heads. This is where they actually, having made incisions, they have their hands or their arms um, uh, bound together. Um, let me just mention to you, there's a very important scripture, and I'm sure I can find it. I believe I can find it. In Jesus' name I can find it. Um, in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 41 and verse 19, I, I, would, I would have to check that up. But this is where God, and we often quote this, and we don't understand that He's talking about blood covenant relationship. He says, I have graven thy name upon the palms of my hands. That's covenant relationship. See, because when you get in, into covenant relationship, they either bonded it there, or they would bond it at the thumbs, or they would bond the hands together, having made an incision. And I gave you examples of that. Um, uh, the outlaw Josie Wales covenanting with the Indian chief uh, and so on where they made an incision they just cut the palm with a knife and the two palms were joined together in what today would be the handshake handshaking is covenant relationship sometimes I'm really tempted not to shake hands with some people I'm serious I'm serious because I, I stand there and I think to myself, I'm lying. I really am not in covenant with this person. I know, I know what they're doing and they're working towards my hurt and my harm. And here I've got to enter into this and give the impression that everything's all right. And I know it's not. Ever been there? Okay, it's tough. <laughs> okay, so and number four, that's where they mingle the blood. Number five, there is an exchange of names. This is a very significant area. Every step of these is significant. But step number five in cutting the covenant is there's an exchange of names. Uh, step number six, there is a scar that is made. And I mentioned before that they used to originally use ash and then they moved to gunpowder. There is a scar that's made in the body. Of course, the scar that we carry is... Uh, the one of circumcision of the heart. Step number seven, 
There's a pronouncement of covenant terms, the blessings and the curses. And then they, step number eight, eat the memorial, which is what we're going to be doing this morning. And step number nine, they plant a memorial. And it's interesting that they would put a, they would plant a tree and they would take the blood of the covenant and they would sprinkle it on their tree. And the, the thinking was that every time that you start, you started questioning covenant relationship, look at the memorial, look at the tree, speaks to us of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. A tree planted and covered and sprinkled with blood. Amen. So I want to go back to step number three in the cutting of the covenant, and that is the actual cutting of the covenant. Now, you're going to need to, to move with me to Genesis chapter 15, would you? Because uh, in Genesis chapter 15, we have the first two steps that we've covered where God cuts covenant. Now, I think we need to understand this right at the outset. Uh, I, I, I thought it was something that uh, was taken, a taken, you know, we, so many times... When we're preaching, we take for granted, we're teaching, we take for granted that people understand what is being taught. And, and, and uh, you jump from that position of thinking that they're thinking that way to a place where you realize, my Lord, they're not thinking that way. Because somebody said to me during the course of the week, who instituted the blood covenant? See, is this something that's just come down traditionally through man? No, God instituted blood covenant relationship. This is something of God. Uh, it's God who cut the first covenant. It's God who initiated blood covenant. And although people have adopted it, and in some cases they've, they've produced different forms of covenanting in blood, uh, God's nine steps of covenanting are established for us from the Word of God. This blood covenant is of God. God initiated it. God instituted it. And God is the one who has given the basis for it. So it's not man who suddenly came up with, was it the North American uh, Indian? Or why, were it, or was it a tribe in Africa that started this? No, 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 no. This started by God. God initiated this. And if you want to have a look at where God initiated this, go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, you have recorded for, for us the fall of man, where man changed gods. And uh, the, Satan became the god of this world. Satan is not God. Satan is not, listen, he is not deity. Satan is a created being. And he is a fallen creation. See? He has more power than natural man has, but he does not have God's power. He's not omniscient, he's, that's all-knowing. He's not omnipotent or powerful, and he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere present at one time. He's a fallen angel. I watched a kid on television this week being interviewed, and some of you may have seen the program, and the title of the program was, My Child, My Teenager is a Satan Worshipper. And here this demonized kid comes onto this thing, comes onto this program. And I looked at this and I thought, my God, I can see Satan there, all right? There is no doubt in your mind. 
America is full of them. And I'm not talking about the rest of the world because I don't live in the rest of the world. They're here. They walk in that mall every day. They meet here in Manassas every day. I remember when we were in Warrington, we had, uh, there's a witch's coven that was about three quarters of a mile from where we were. We got to the church one day and they daubed the church with their sign and all the rest. Oh man, pathetic. You think I'm going to be intimidated by that turkey? He's a creation and he's a fallen creation and he has no power except what the believer gives him. Amen. Now we're talking about blood covenant, so let's get back there. Blood covenant. So Satan has become the God of this world. God pronounces curses that are going to come into the experience of the the serpent, of Adam and of Eve. And they put out of the garden. But the wonderful thing about God is God is love. And so God starts a provision for them. They're naked. They're going to die. They're at the mercy of the elements. Have a look at verse 21. And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. Where did he get them? Where did he get the skins from? Some of his creation that were innocent, were slaughtered, gave their lives, and they gave their skins to cover God's creation. That's where it started. Blood covenant. The innocent for the guilty. So that the guilty can have life. Amen? All right, well, let's press on. Go back to chapter 15, would you please? Chapter 15, and we're having a look at cutting the covenant. In verses uh, 1 and 2, you have, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And you have two The first two steps covered there by God. God doesn't have a robe. God gave Himself. The robe is representative of the individual. God doesn't wear a natural robe. So God says, I am. I'm giving myself. Whatever I am, I'm giving to you. Whatever I am, I'm giving to you. And then He goes on and we talk about the belt. And the belt speaks of that which is is the ability, the enabling that that, ind- that that covenant partner brings to the covenant relationship. And God says, I am thy shield, thy protector. I will be to you everything. When an enemy comes in against you, they're going to have to deal with me. I'll be your shield. I'll be your protector. I'll be the might of your right hand. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will stand for you. You're never going to be in any situation alone because I'm going to be your shield and thy exceeding great reward. Makes me think of Hebrews 11.6. For without faith it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So when we go to God, we don't go to God to bawl and squall and moan and complain and weep and cry, oh God, where are you? The reason that I'm going to God is because I know that He is, 
and that he is a rewarder. He is what? He is what I need him to be. If I need him to be my comfort, he's going to be my comfort. If I need him to be my strength, he's going to be my strength. If I need him to be the strength of my right hand, he's going to be that. If if I need direction, if I need my needs met, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nissi, whatever it is, I'm going to him because he is it. And I'm going to him not to beg and bawl and squall, but by faith to receive what he has provided for me in him and come away with it so that I've got the answer. That's why I go to him. Keep your finger there. Go to uh, Hebrews, would you? Hebrews chapter 4 just very quickly. Because I've made statements before as people looked at me like I crawled out of a piece of cheese. And the kind of statement that I've made has been this. Because God is love, God blesses. That's His prerogative. Uh, People talk to me about, you know, the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Yeah, God is sovereign. God can do whatever God wants to do, but God will never work against His Word. And if I want to understand what His will is, I go to His Word in order to find out what His will is. So when I go to His Word, I start seeing that God is sovereign and God can bless and does bless as He wants to. Why is that person who's not even born again? Not even following the Lord, not serving God. How come they get blessed? There is a blessing of hard work. God can be working hard and diligently, and he might be doing a few deals, but that's his nature. He's giving a few kickbacks and all, but he's getting blessed because the guy's working hard. Well, the Lord shouldn't bless him. He's not getting blessed because God's looking at that and saying, that's great, don't worry, I'll turn a blind eye to their kickbacks. God's not saying that. But the man's working hard and there is a reward for hard work, and some Christians need to learn it. Amen? But that's not what I'm on to. That's not what I'm on to. So the blessings God pours out and they just indicate His sovereignty. He pours it out because God is sovereign. He blesses the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. It doesn't just fall on His covenant children. Those are the blessings. But the promises are for us. They're not for those who are not His children. So I need to find the promises of God because they do not apply to the world. And I need to understand that the promises are for me. And then I need to understand or learn to understand how to appropriate them. How do I make them mine? The promises, although they are enunciated, don't just come into your life. Well, let me show you verse 2. Talking about Old Testament Israel. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, Old Testament Israel. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Promises are received by faith. Not hope, not need. Promises are received by faith. Now, the Word of God, I I understand. I haven't counted them all, but I understand there's something close to 3,000 promises. And the promises are for God's children. God has promised. God has verbally committed Himself in covenant relationship 
to fulfill 3,000 recorded promises to his children. How many are you walking in? Five? That's a lot. To the average Christian, that's a lot. Ah, but God doesn't want us to prosper. 3,000 promises can't prosper. Excuse me? Run that by me again? Some people will walk in five or half a dozen, and boy, they prosper head and shoulders above the rest of the body. And the rest of the body gets envious. What are they doing? Aha, uh-huh, I know, they're cheating on their tax return. No, they're probably tithing and giving and being obedient to God like you just do not understand or not prepared to get committed to. And so God is blessing the word is working for them. Out of the 3,000 promises, how many are you walking in? Answer that for yourselves. Okay, go back then to Genesis, would you? Now, here we get in Genesis chapter 15, we get to the point where we are going to be cutting covenant. Now, we're going to be having communion in a few minutes. That's what we're talking about. And I want to bring the significance of this to us. And I'm believing that if you'll just stay focused and let the Spirit of the Lord minister to you, there are going to be things that the Lord's going to reveal to you that you just didn't understand before. So God institutes the blood covenant. Interestingly enough, Hebrews 9.22 makes this statement that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's why in Genesis 3... 21, where God provides a covering of clothing for naked Adam and Eve, an, an innocent animal shed its blood. It gave its life. The sin that took place in the Garden of Eden was covered, atoned for. See, I've posed the question many times. I wonder, I don't find anywhere that Adam repented. Is Adam going to be in hell? Well, I think I've discovered the answer. See, God ministered to him and obviously he didn't know how to kill. God did the job, the blood covered, and he started teaching his sons, Cain and Abel, because they brought offerings. Amen. So obviously they learned that somewhere. So now, um, go to verse 8 of Genesis chapter 15. Because God has started making certain promises Verse 7, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. But Abraham said to the Lord, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? How am I going to know? You've made these promises. I've heard you are giving yourself to me and you'll be my shield and my exceeding great reward, and that's all thrilling, God. But how am I going to know that you can be trusted? How can I know that you're going to be keeping your word? And God responds in the only significant way that Abraham couldn't begin to question. Immediately God started speaking. Abraham knew that God was real serious. Have a look here at verse 9. This is where God starts reassuring Abraham. And you and I with our westernized minds wouldn't understand this. But put yourself in Abraham's shoes, understanding blood covenant, and you'll start getting some understanding that Abraham grabbed hold of this. 
Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And the minute that God said that to Abraham, Abraham knew that God was for real, that God intended to do it. Because what he was requiring of Abraham was to bring to him the animals considered clean acceptable sacrifices. And Abraham was going to have to sacrifice these acceptable sacrifices before God. But the minute you start talking heifer, you start talking she-goat, you start talking ram, you have a blood covenant, a burnt offering. Blood is going to flow. And the minute God said, Abraham says, how can I trust you? How do I know that these promises, how do I know that it wasn't me standing out there in the midday sun in the desert and it boiled my brains when I thought those things? Some of you been there? Was that me or was that God? Hello? See? So God says, come on, this is what we're going to do. God had already told Abraham in verse 1, I'm yours, and everything that I can do is available to you. And now he backs up those statements by covenanting in blood. Remember, the blood covenant is an everlasting covenant. It cannot be canceled, annulled. It cannot be broken. And God is now committing himself, first time ever. God is committing himself to enter into a covenant relationship with a man. The greater covenants with the lesser. So there's no need for Abraham now to worry or to fret about this covenant. He can rest on God's promises because of the blood covenant that God is instituting. Now I want to read to you a scripture just to show you how secure this commitment by God was. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 22. Hebrews chapter 6. Sorry, and verse 13, not verse 22. Verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham. Now we're reading about it right now in Genesis 15. Because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Saying, And this is what he said. Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. See? And so after he had patiently endured, Abraham obtained the promise. But I want you to see there in verse 13, because God could swear by no greater, there wasn't anybody that he could point to that was greater than him. He swore by himself. Abraham says, how do I know you're going to do it? God says, there's only one way for me to get out. If I want to relate to an ant, I've got to become an ant. I've got to speak something so significant into your life, there's going to be no doubt in your mind as to my intention. Now, go along and get yourself a heifer, get yourself a she-goat, get yourself a ram, get yourself a turtle dove, get yourself a pigeon. Bring them along. And the minute that Abraham was given that instruction, he knows God is going to blood covenant relationship with him. And the wonderful thing about it is now there's no sweat as far as Abraham's concerned 
because he can rest on God's promises. Why? He's got a hold on God because this covenant that he's about to enter into is a, an everlasting covenant. It cannot be changed. It ends on the death of the covenant people and God doesn't die. Now we've got a bit of a problem, however. We've got a problem. How can the creation enter into blood covenant with the Creator? How can weak, sinful man enter into covenant with the almighty, all-powerful God? What is it that man can bring to this covenant that would entice God? Why should he? Well, number one, God is love. And love has got to have an expression, an object towards which it can move. That's number one. God can't help. God is. God doesn't have love. God is love. And that same love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God tells us. But there is something else. There is something else in this situation. There's something else that God doesn't have. Something that God needs if His purposes are to be fulfilled in this earth. God does not have the lives of men. They have it. God doesn't just happen on the scene. God works through people. God works through the body of Christ. God works through the church. And so God is looking for people who will enter into covenant relationship with Him. Meaningful covenant relationship. Deliverance doesn't just happen. Deliverance is ministered by the body. Hello? Laying hands on the sick has got to be done by somebody. God is looking for a body, a creation, who are qualified to be here. And this body gives us that qualification. Who will then, through the exercise of their will, submit themselves to do and be what God wants them to do and to be. God is looking for a people who will enter into covenant relationship. We want the blessings. We want the promises. But very few of us want to make the commitment that is needed in order to enjoy it. And we wonder why we're not progressing with God. God is almighty. God is all powerful. There is nothing impossible to Him. And we'll sing that from the very depths of our being. When we're in need. Like we are really going to invoke God to move on our behalf. What about when we're not under pressure? God wants to flow through His people. The Creator is beyond the reach of the creation in the creation's own capacity to reach out. There just is no common ground on which man can approach God. But the wonderful thing about this is that God's aware of this. And God has established a way, planned a way, in order to accomplish a common ground experience. Have a look here at verse 11. 
When the fowls came down upon the carcass, Abraham drove them away. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. A deep sleep fell upon Abraham. I think he, I think it was probably a trance. I don't think he had to hum to get into it. Okay? I think God induced a trance. Obviously, Abraham was aware of what was going on because he was able to, to record in detail the events that were taking place. So this deep sleep comes upon Abraham and lo, a horror of a great darkness. And God tells him in verse 13 that his seed are going to be going to a land that is not theirs and uh, they will be there 400 years and the people there that um, are part of that, that are the owners of that land are going to abuse them after a period of time and God will come in there and deliver them. Verse 14, and also that nation... Whom they shall serve will I judge. He's there speaking prophetically about the Egyptian experience. And afterwards shall they come out with a little bit of substance so they can just get by. Uh, I see the words great substance there. Great substance. I don't know how you translate that. But I think it's a little bit more than, you know, salt and a little bit of milk for my porridge. And and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now, look at verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now, let me explain to you what is going on. God says to Abraham, the heifer, the she-goat, the ram, bring them. The doves, the turtle dove and the pigeon, never did God require those to be shed, to have their blood shed in terms of being split down the middle. But the large animals were split literally down the middle. They were not split cross-section. They were split right down the spine. You ever try to cut a cow in half that way? I want to tell you, anybody who's tried to do that with a deer knows how difficult that is. You try and do that with a cow... And you'll find it's near nigh impossible. There's no doubt in anybody's mind that this cow did not go to that place willingly. Number two, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that blood has been spilled. You're up to the yin-yang in blood. Okay? It's all over the place. It's not like we can just cut the nerve and let's decant and there is blood everywhere and gore and everything. And one half is laid there, and the other half is laid there. On the ground! One there, one there. And this is the way that they, they commenced their walk in covenant relationship. Derek, come up here please, brother, would you? Okay. Bring your jacket. Bring your jacket, please. Now, this is what would happen. Let's assume these jackets, let's put it over here. These jackets represent the two halves of the sacrifice. We've now split it down the middle. This place is high with blood. Anybody, you, you know the blood smells? Okay, when you smell it, you, you never forget that smell. Now, this is what they would do if they cut, if they cut covenant. Now, if you come back to back, that's the way. And you're going to go off to your right, okay? And you're going to walk in a figure of eight. 
Now, okay, start. Now, they would walk between the pieces of the covenant, all right? And they would walk through, keep going, right? Like this until they'd done a figure of eight, and they would come back into the center. You finished your figure of eight, and they would be facing each other. Covenant heads cut covenant that way. They started back to back, and whilst they were walking through the sacrifice pieces, they were declaring, I am now dying to myself, and I am of no account. I am giving myself to the covenant. I now enter into a new walk in life with my covenant partner. God do to me the same as has been done here if I break this covenant. And he ends up face to face with his covenant partner looking him right in the eye. We're talking serious stuff here. Thank you, Derek. That's the whole purpose. One piece there, one piece that we're not talking about a shank. We're talking half cow, half cow. Blood, guts, everything else all over the place. It was the, up, up to your ankles in all of it. No doubt, you will never forget it. And you, the interesting thing about a figure of eight is, number one, it is the sign of infinity, which means everlasting, eternal, and in Bible numerics, the figure eight always speaks of new beginnings. It's the number of new beginnings significantly used in blood covenant relationship. And we need to realize that when you and I came into blood covenant relationship, the one thing that God required of you was your life. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And we want God to move on our behalf and we want God to bless us, but we haven't given Him the one thing that He requires of us in covenant relationship, our life. God has, more, has got more ability than you and I have got. God's got more money than you and I have got. God has got more status than you and I have got. God's got more education than you and I have got. What are you going to bring Him? Every time that they cut covenant, Lord, this is what you're doing. Now, Abraham is a covenant head. God is a covenant head. And God says, Abraham, if I'm going to covenant with man, I'm going to have to do the entire exercise here. I want a totally secure, totally committed covenant. I do not change. I cannot lie. And I have the power to watch over my word to ensure that my word comes to pass. So if I'm going to cut covenant, I'm going to do this. I'm going to cut covenant with myself. I'm going to provide you with a substitute that will stand in this covenant relationship on your behalf. And that substitute's going to be myself. You say, but hang on a minute. This is God speaking. That's precisely the point that I'm making. Because God is His function, not His name. And what you have here in Genesis chapter 15, 
Verse 17, it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between the pieces of the covenant. God causes a sleep to come on Abraham. And God provides a covenant substitute, Jesus. Jesus in His pre-existing glory comes in and Jesus the Son of God, Jesus, God the Son, covenants with Father God. Jesus, representing Abraham, stands face to face, having passed through the pieces and declared, I'm dying to myself in order to commit myself to new covenant relationship life with you. He's standing there for Abraham. Why did God do that? Because Abraham could lie. And Abraham could change. But Jesus, being God, cannot lie and cannot change. God the Father cannot lie, cannot change. How secure is our covenant? Smoking furnace and a burning lamp. Interesting that so many times when God comes in in great significance... He's represented by fire. Burning bush with Moses. And the bush is not uh, consumed. Sinai. The mountain flashed with lightning and fire. And smoke. Through the journey in the... uh, uh, Through the Red Sea and the journey in the wilderness. A pillar of fire by night. Cloud by day. Pentecost, fire. Fire always speaks of the presence of God. And it'll either warm you (laughs) or it'll reduce you in weight. And here's Abraham. And Abraham sees somebody walking where he should have been walking, taking his place. He's in a trance. Somebody is saying covenant vows that he should have been saying. They're saying, I'm dying to myself. I'm giving up rights to my own life and beginning a new walk with my covenant partner unto death. Remember, his covenant partner is God. He's lying there and he sees in his deep sleep someone saying for him, not my will, but yours be done as my covenant partner. And this is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, in His pre-existing glory, standing for Abraham and cutting covenant with the Father. God who cannot change or lie. Cutting covenant with God who cannot change or lie. And that is where I believe that Jesus did His substitutionary work. Its manifestation was at Calvary. But that's where He committed to doing it there and then. And here we've got absolute God and very man covenanting with God. At Calvary, God bleeds and He dies for our sin. And in the bleeding, He signs the covenant that Abraham signed hundreds and hundreds of years before. When all the parties to the contract have signed it, the contract is enforceable. It is ratified. Now go with me to Galatians Chapter 3. Say this. When all the parties to the contract 
have signed the contract. It is ratified. It is enforceable. Now, this God-man is to be the seed of Abraham. The God-man is Jesus. You are not the seed of Abraham. And yet you are the seed of Abraham. Outside of Christ, you are not the seed of Abraham. Christ is the seed of Abraham. Now you've got Galatians 3. Let me read for you, and you can make a note of this. We've read it before, and I'm going to read it again. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. That's who God's people are, the people who have been circumcised in the heart. Now, Galatians chapter 3. Have a look here at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says, not unto seeds as of many, but unto one and to thy seed. And he's going to tell us who the seed is, which is Christ. Christ is the seed of Abraham. See? Have a look at verse 17. And this I say that the covenant which was confirmed before of God in Christ. When was that? Back at Genesis 15. We read it. Hello? That's when the covenant was confirmed, before. Yes, from the foundation of the world, but in man's economy, man wants to see it, man wants to hear it, man wants to smell it, man says, give me a sign. And so God speaks to him in a way that man can understand. He has a substitute who's going to stand in your place. And they covenant together when? Back in Genesis. Do you understand? Now, have a look here at verses 7 through 9. Same chapter, Galatians chapter 3. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then, they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Have a look at verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Why did he hang on a tree? That the blessings of Abraham, the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Have a look down here at verses 26 and 27. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 29. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Woo! That's shouting ground. That is shouting ground. 
Don't look for a little strip of land out there in the Middle East. That's not where it's happening. It's happening in the hearts of people. If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. To Abraham and his seed were the promises given. He didn't say seeds as of many because you're not individual. You come into Christ and it was to Christ, the seed of Abraham, that the promises were made. Therefore, if you want to enjoy the promises, you get into Christ and you stay in Christ according to covenant commitment and the blessings and the promises will be yours because he promised them to the seed of Abraham. My Lord in heaven, you get some understanding of that, you wouldn't want to get out of relationship. Lord, what do you want? My house, my mansions, everything? That's fine. If that's what he requires of you. But the interesting thing is he doesn't require that if he requires your attitude of heart. He's looking for commitment from here. It's not things that move God, it's attitude of heart. 